Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Marshall Poe, the editor-in-chief of the network, and each week we scour the internet looking for interesting books, and this week I'm happy to say that we have Donald Critchlow on the show, and we'll be talking about his book, When Hollywood Was Right, How Movie Stars, Studio Moguls, and Big Business Remade American Politics. It's a fascinating book. It shines light on something that I don't think most people know, except by dim association with Ronald Reagan, who they say was a a film star and later became, of course, Ronald Reagan, the great Republican god. But there's a whole story behind that. And Don does a really terrific job of telling it. And I'm really glad that he did, because as I say, I'm a big film buff and I study Hollywood a little bit, just amateurishly. And I, I really learned a lot from the book and I hope people go out and buy it. So first, let me say, Donald, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Could you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes, I'm a, a long-practicing uh, historian. I teach uh, history at uh, Arizona State University. I've uh, uh, taught at other places, but now uh, Arizona is my home. Okay. Um, and we should say that you've written other books of great – I'll say it for you. You wrote a great book about Phyllis Schlafly. Can I just say that? that well, right? thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my earlier books. I really liked it. So I encourage people to go buy that one too. So could you tell us why you wrote When Hollywood Was Right? Well, uh, sure. I was uh, thinking about writing a, a biography of the relationship or a collective biography of the odd relationship uh, between Richard Nixon and uh, Ronald Reagan. And when I was looking at the uh, Richard Nixon papers, I suddenly saw all this correspondence from uh, – Hollywood uh, actors, and I thought, gee, I didn't realize uh, so many uh, actors were uh, Republicans. So the more I looked into it, uh, it was a it was a discovery, and I decided that uh, this was a book that uh, should be written. Most people, when I started, said it was going to be. Uh, when I told them I was writing about the Hollywood uh, ride. They said, "Well, that will be a short book." Uh, it turned out that there were. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, Republicans, as well as conservatives in Hollywood in the 40s and 50s and up through the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, and I think it is a historical corrective. As I said, I think most people, when they think about Hollywood, they think left. And actually, you begin the book that way with an interesting anecdote about Eli Kazan. And well, why don't you tell that little about what happened in, is it 1999? Yes, uh, Eli uh, Kazan, who had written uh, and directed on the waterfront was uh, going to going to be given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the uh, Motion Picture Academy. Uh, and there were uh, huge protests outside the award ceremony. And uh, when he uh, received the uh, award, uh, many of the actors, or a few of the actors uh, who were on the left, stood up and turned their uh, backs. And uh, they felt that he was uh, he had been uh, he had denounced communism, turned his back on the uh, 
on the party, and um, and he was a turncoat. So even though he uh, achieved much in film and on the waterfront, it still remains one of the great films of uh, of Hollywood. Uh, it was it was rather uh, um, you know uh, shocking, really, that people were still going to hold a against him of something that happened, uh, you know, 30 years, uh, previously. Mm-hmm. And if, and if, uh, one looks at the, uh, communist party and its activities in Hollywood and in this period, they're, uh, they're nothing to, uh, really, uh, carry a banner for in my, mm-hmm. my view. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting that it still touches a nerve today. I mean, I think part of the reason, and you can speak about this yourself, is that it's become a kind of cliche, and and it's and people yeah. have put on white hats and black hats, and so the black hats are the people who were anti-communist, and the white hats are people who were persecuted by the anti-communists. At least that's right. The- well, there've been there've been uh, dozens of films and uh, uh, novels and books written about the uh you know the dark days of uh Hollywood without uh without much of an understanding really of what was going on at that time mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And that's why it's a good historical corrective. So let's get right into the book. You begin it um roughly in the um in the depression and then that which follows, uh which is the um the the the, the, the Roosevelt's reforms um, the New Deal and and uh, a particular low mo- point for the uh, Republican Party, particularly in California, which is where you focus your attention. Yes, um, well, in the, in the uh, 1920s and early 1930s, Hollywood wasn't very uh, political. It was always about uh, making uh, making money. But when uh, Upton uh, Sinclair won the uh, Democratic Party nomination for governor in 1934, running on a socialist uh, ticket or program uh, in poverty in California. Uh, and he talked about kind of taking over the Hollywood studios, the uh, business community with LA Times uh, owner uh, Chandler, and uh, as well as studio heads, Louis B. Mayer and others really mobilized a, a very extensive and expensive uh, campaign against uh, Sinclair. Uh, involved in this uh, campaign, by the way, this anti-Sinclair campaign was rural war and who later became long-standing governor of California and Supreme Court justice, uh, seen as a liberal, that he was really uh, kind of the figurehead on, uh, spearhead on the attack on uh Sinclair. The end, Sinclair uh, lost the uh, uh, nomination in the in the most extensive uh, gubernatorial uh, race at that uh, at that uh, point. It really showed uh, negative uh, advertising and negative attacks and the use of uh, media uh, in in its uh, in a full blown way, and that was going to basically set the stage for. Uh, later uh, media use in uh, political campaigns. Mm-hmm. And at this time, the California Republican Party, I mean, obviously, they, they, they may have uh, defeated up in Sinclair, but they could not hold back the New Deal. Uh, so, uh, Right. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the New Deal was uh, 
uh, very popular in California as it was in the uh, rest of the uh, rest of the uh, country. And uh, Republic and California Republicans watched their state uh, becoming increasingly uh, democratic, especially in voter registration. So uh, uh, they were really uh, on the ropes, and it's at that point, really, in the kind of the nineteen uh, late, late in the in the Second World War, and really after the war, that uh, a group uh, came together in Southern California, made up of uh, Hollywood uh, moguls as well as uh, leading businessmen and uh, actors uh, coming together to really revive uh, the Republican uh, Party. And that was going to set the stage for their successes in the 1960s with the election of, uh, in 1964, of actor Dan Stan, George uh, uh, Murphy, and then later uh, in 66 with the election of uh, Reagan as governor and later in 1980. Mm-hmm. So when he won the presidency. So how does so much of your book is about anti-communism as it an ideological stance and also a kind of platform for mobilization. Uh, could you talk a little bit about this group of people and first of all why they were anti-communist and then second of all it'll probably be a little bit down the road h- how the issue came to be used as a kind of um, political tool if you don't object to that characterization. No, I think that's uh, um, I think that's fair enough to call it a, a political tool. Well, the uh, uh, the Communist Party in uh, Southern California and in Hollywood was never large, but uh, it gained uh, support of uh, a membership from a number of uh, significant uh, people, and particularly made inroads in. Uh, Hollywood film uh, industries, particularly the Screenwriters Guild. Uh, and so you see uh, uh, authors such and screenwriters such as Dalton Trumbo and Dorothy uh, Parker, uh, uh, Albert uh, Maltz and uh, Ring Lardner Jr. Uh, playing a significant role in the Screenwriters Guild. And uh, at the same time, uh, the Communists also made uh, significant inroads in uh, the technical uh, unions in Hollywood, as well as the uh, uh, cartoonist unions, uh, cartoonist uh, union. And that began to turn the uh, studio uh, heads against them. Walt Disney, for example, after experiencing uh, 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 unionization of his studio, in which he thought was... Uh, uh, communist led. He became a virulent uh, anti-communist, um, and uh, and then uh, in 1945 and 1946, uh, there were uh, massive strikes in Hollywood that uh, shut down the studios, but it also led to uh, to violence. And at that point, uh, uh, this is at the just at the tail end of the war and the year after, I think it really uh, spurred uh, anti-communist uh, activities in, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And so when was this first used as a, um, as, as a campaign device? Well, uh, at first uh, it wasn't uh, 
really, uh, well, it was, uh, it, the Republicans were going to seize on the anti-communist issue, but the first signs of, uh, of kind of the backlash to communism, to communist uh, party uh, involvement in Hollywood, uh, came in, when a group of actors uh, and screenwriters came together uh, to form the Motion Picture Alliance uh, for American Ideals. Um, and this was, uh, they drew actors such as uh, Gary Cooper and Randolph Scott, uh, Spencer Tracy, uh, uh uh, excuse me, Clark Gable, uh, Ginger Rogers, uh, Barbara Stanwyck, and Robert Taylor, and a whole group of uh, Ayn Rand came together uh, to uh, to confront the uh, communists. And the Motion Picture Alliance wrote to the House and on American Activities or to Congress and asked for an investigation of communist uh, involvement in the film industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yes, should I go on? Yeah, please go on. Yes, and I, I don't mean to uh, just speak without uh, giving anyone a break. But, no, go ahead. It's uh, interesting. <laughs> um, so they wrote uh, Congress, uh, and the head of uh, uh, of the House on American Activities uh, Committee called HUAC was headed by Jay Purnell uh, Thomas a New Jersey uh, uh, congressman, and uh, a bit of a, uh, quite a grandstander, as many on UAC were, uh, and they saw, you know, going to Hollywood was going to uh, create uh, great publicity. Um, and at the same time, the studio uh, heads didn't want uh, Congress uh, coming to uh, Hollywood to talk about... Uh, Communism, they just saw it as uh, bad publicity, uh, and and furthermore, they they thought they were taking care of the communist uh, problem uh, already. Uh, so Thomas uh, and and many within the uh, Republican establishment didn't want these hearings uh, either. Uh, they were probably influ- influenced by uh, studio heads who were trying to tell. Uh, then that this was, you know, that this was uh, just grandstanding. And uh, actually, uh, Thomas Dewey, who had run for president and had aspirations of uh, running in 48 as president again, uh, phoned up Jay Pornell uh, Tom- Thomas and tried to get him to call off the hearings. And uh, in fact, the, the Republican speaker of the House, Republicans had just won uh, uh, House for the first time in many years. Joseph Martin also phoned up Thomas and said, "Look, at this is uh, this is just going to lead to a backlash. Uh, we'll be uh, the Republicans will be uh, portrayed as uh, red beggars. Let's don't do this." But Jay Parnell Thomas uh, felt that, he, that this was his great opportunity. And so he came out to uh, to Hollywood, and then later had uh, televised uh, hearings in Washington that were uh, watched by uh, uh, across the country, and hundreds of people lined up uh, to get into the uh, committee room to see these uh, hearings. 
because uh, being brought uh, to the hearings were uh, America's most popular uh, stars of the day, Gary Cooper, uh, Robert Taylor, Ronald Reagan, uh, and many uh, and uh, many others. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I go on? Yeah, I just one question, actually, and this is one of the most fascinating parts of the book to me. You already talked about it, but it's just very interesting to me, given the fact that we think of the HUAC um, hearings as sort of the equivalent of the Inquisition now, um, and Republican-backed, how many Republicans didn't really want to do it, that they thought it was just a very bad idea? And this is just totally forgotten well, as far as I know. I, you know, Yeah, well, that was a discovery I made uh, in the book, and I don't think it's, uh, it's never been uh, uh, reported before. Yeah. But it's clear that the uh, Republican establishment didn't want these uh, hearings because they were, they were very concerned about being painted in, in the next election, 48 as, uh, as red baiters. Yeah. And furthermore, the Republican establishment uh, in California and the Hollywood studios didn't want this uh, investigation. They were very concerned about, uh, uh, you know, the bad publicity. Uh, and the fact of the matter was that... Uh, in the 1940s, during World War II, uh, Hollywood had used uh, 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 very uh, talented uh, writers who were members of the Communist uh, Party. Mm-hmm. Dalton Trumbo, who was one of the most prolific uh, screenwriters and considered one of the most talented, didn't make, uh, you know, didn't uh, hide that he was... Uh, a communist, mm-hmm. and during World War uh, II, when the Soviet Union was our ally and fighting the war against uh, against the Nazis, uh, uh, Hollywood had made some films that uh, portrayed the Soviet Union in a favorable uh, light. Mm-hmm. So, but this wasn't uh, because the Hollywood studios, Louis B. Mayer, were communists. They were fighting, uh, or the or the Warner or the Warner Brothers were fighting this. They just saw it as fighting the uh, fight against uh, fascism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's it's just it's fascinating. I mean, I guess one of the takeaways is, um, well, I'll characterize it myself. I mean, that it was really a close thing. It could have easily gone the wrong way, if not for a kind of peculiarity which you point out in the book, and that is the response of the unfriendly ten. They, they do something right. which really is a, just, it, you know, in hindsight, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of save it for drama's purposes. In hindsight, what they did, it looks really great. But actually, at the time, it was tactically a disaster. So go ahead and tell the story yeah. of the friendly 10 and the unfriendly 10. Yes. Well, the, the, um, in order to understand what had happened, uh, what happened at those uh, HUAC hearings in Washington, uh, in which the entire country was uh, watching uh, on television. The uh, one needs to understand a change in the uh, Communist Party, their their line, uh, the party line, and that came from the Soviet Union. During uh, the late 1930s and during the Second World War, the Communist Party had had supported working with liberals in the so-called Popular Front. But as the war grew to a close, Stalin uh, believed that uh, uh, America and England were going to be uh, his enemies, 
that they were going to to become uh, fascist. Uh, and so the party changed its line, denounced the Popular Front, denounced liberals, uh, and said that they needed to be now prepared to fight, uh, continue the fight against uh, fascism. So that set the stage. That, that set the stage for the HUAC hearings. In other words, the Communist Party believed that fascism was on the way, and then you have the HUAC hearings, which you know, which confirmed in their own view that yes, fascism was uh, was already uh, here. So the uh, the the lawyers representing the uh, ten witnesses that were called before HUAC, uh, the so-called unfriendlies who were accused of membership in the uh, Communist Party, uh, decided that they were going to make a, a, a political uh, stance to make the HUAC hearings into a show trial. So instead of taking the uh, Fifth Amendment, which later subsequent communists did, that you uh, that said that you couldn't, you wouldn't uh, self-incriminate yourself, they decided to make it a First Amendment free speech uh, issue. So what happened in the first four four days of the hearings? The so-called uh, friendlies came before them: uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Iron Rand and, uh, and and others. And the uh, and the investigation had to do with communist was there pro- communist propaganda in the uh, in in Hollywood films. Uh, and they pointed to two films in particular uh, that they saw were uh, communist mission mission to Moscow uh, and uh, Song of Russia. And but there, but uh, but other than that, there there wasn't a lot of evidence uh, in the films. Uh, in in other films, the uh, some of the so-called friendlies, especially Ayn Rand, said that what the communists did was to, to communist screenwriters did was not write entire propaganda films, but uh, try to sneak in a line or two that was praised uh, the Soviet Union or denounced uh, businessmen or denounced uh, politicians and so forth. Well, one needs to remember that in the uh, New Deal, there was a lot of anti, uh, anti-business sentiment, uh, and many people saw the Soviet Union mistakenly as kind of a worker's paradise. Capitalism had failed, and the Soviet Union seemed to be, uh, seemed to be working. In other words, it was, it was pretty hard to distinguish you know, liberalism, good liberalism from uh, communist propaganda. So after the uh, friendlies had uh, testified, the newspapers uh, across the country uh, and and uh, most Americans thought this was just a lark, uh, <laughs> that, they, that they had failed to... Uh, Prove their case. This was just grandstanding. Well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I was going to interrupt. I, I think we should say, and you, yeah. you can tell me whether this is right, they didn't find any communist propaganda in films, American films, because there wasn't any. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean there, yeah, it's like, you know, it's right. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, there was, there, there, yeah, I mean, 
look at there were uh, communists who were uh, involved in uh, writing films, and the party party uh, uh, and the party told them if they get got the you know opportunity to sneak in a line or two, they would. Mm-hmm. But I mean the but liberals were doing the same thing. That's the point. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was a conscious effort, but it wasn't like complete, you know, uh, let's have a revolution right. and let's uh, bring Stalin over right. to uh, run the country. It's not, it's, not, it's not the battleship Potemkin or anything like that. Right. And also, right. I should point out, you really didn't need to convince many scriptwriters to write bad bankers into their films in 1939 or 40. Bankers already yeah, had a bad name. <laughs> I mean, that was just a natural, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, let's face it: making uh, taking a businessman who's uh, and making him into a buffoon was pretty uh, yeah, was you know made for pretty good characters yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and. Um, so everything, so, you know, the, the HUAC hearings really looked like they had flopped. Uh, and then came the uh, Changong friendlies. Uh, that is, people, with, the actors who were uh, screenwriters, most of them, uh, director and a producer, uh, who were accused of, uh, of communist uh, membership. And by the way, the, uh, the HUAC... Uh, uh, papers, which I looked at, had extensive uh, files on uh, these unfriendly showing that they were, uh, they had extensive uh, uh, relations with uh, uh, communists and, and pretty, pretty uh, sound proof that they were uh, members of the Communist Party. Although it should be pointed out that being a member of the Communist Party in 1946, was not illegal. Mm-hmm. The Communist Party was illi- was uh, a legal organization. Anyway, they came. Uh, they now came before the hearings uh, and tried to disrupt the hearings. They denounced uh, Huac and Parnell as Thomas. Uh, they interrupted him, shouted down, uh, uh, refute, uh, tried to shout down. Uh, the uh, hearings, uh, and there was immediate uh, public uh, backlash to this. It's uh, Americans had just fought a war against fascism, and they might not uh, like uh, uh, Republicans and people like J. Parnell Thomas, but to, to hear America being denounced as uh, fascist uh, in really rude uh, ways. Uh, uh, really, really uh, shocked and, and outraged uh, people, mm-hmm. and um, uh, so at the at by the time the unfriendlies were uh, finished, they had really uh, hurt their case. Liberal uh, actors such as Humphrey Bogart and Laura Bacall and others who had flown out to uh, Washington with great press coverage. To support the uh, the ten on friendlies, uh, they too were shocked by it. They left before the hearings were over, and uh, later Humphrey uh, Bogart told the uh, uh, who who hadn't been told that this was the uh, plan. Uh, 
uh, to denounce the hearings, later told uh, a lawyer for one of the lawyers for the Hollywood, uh, for the uh, Tenong Friendly Restaurants uh, witnesses that he had really been, well, used, uh, 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 you know, pretty bad language. Uh, they said basically he had been screwed uh, yeah. by them. Yeah. So liberals deserted them, and it, it was really uh, it was really a turning point in uh, in in the fight against communism mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And then, so at, at that point, I mean, this is a boon for the Republicans. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they they uh, Jay Parnell, Thomas, uh, for some reason, uh, ended the hearings uh, early. Uh, he felt he proved his point. By the way, he was later uh, uh, indicted and convicted of uh, of uh, corruption, kickbacks, employing his own uh, children. Uh, actually, ended up in uh, in the federal prison where one of the uh, Hollywood uh, ten or the unfriendlies were um, were uh, were serving uh, their time for contempt to Congress. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, that's that's very rich. So, at this point, uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon enters the book, and, which and it's yeah. always it's always good when Richard Milhouse Nixon enters a book. So, how, how does he? And you say he really this 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 sort of his star rose here. So, can you explain that? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> his was uh, he he. Uh, he had been uh, elected to uh, uh, Congress from Southern California, the Whittier area, and was appointed on the uh, on the HUAC uh, uh, committee. And he actually, in the uh, in the hearings, when he asked questions, uh, he basically took a position uh, of supporting the studios. Uh, Asking leading questions uh, to show that communism wasn't really uh, an issue. Uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, who was uh, asked questions by Nixon, actually said that we had taken care of the communist uh, problem and there's not a communist problem uh, in uh, his union, the Screen Actors Guild, and uh, this, this, this wasn't uh, really a problem. Indeed, Ronald Reagan, uh, when he was first approached to about testifying, didn't want to uh, testify. He didn't want to be aligned with the Motion Picture Alliance. He thought they were uh, extremists, and he was, uh, but he was convinced to do so. But he, uh, 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 Ronald Reagan, and George Murphy, being good company studio men, basically defended the uh, the. Uh, the uh, the studios in this uh, and said there wasn't a communist problem. Anyway, uh, uh, Nixon was going to gain real fame uh, for HUAC for investigating allegations that Alger Hiss, who had been a uh, high, high-ranking State Department official uh, uh, who had been at the Yalta conference for post-war planning, was a communist. He had been charged uh, as being a communist by Whitaker Chambers. And Nixon seized upon this uh, evidence, uh, charges, and brought evidence uh, forward from Whitaker Chambers. 
that Alger Hiss wasn't only a communist, but he was a communist spy. And so uh, he uh, he became a leading uh, light of the uh, Republican uh, Party and uh, was going to be uh, a, uh, put on the uh, uh, presidential ticket with, uh, with Eisenhower in 1952. Mm-hmm. And if you want, we could talk a little bit about that 52. Yeah, campaign. let's do it, please. Well, uh, so by 1952, you had a pretty active uh, uh, right in Hollywood. It was pretty well formed. But they weren't all of uh, one mind. Uh, some were more uh, conservative than others. Some were more anti-communist than others. Uh, they were all. They all believed in in free enterprise and and uh, and American patriotism. But they were kind of divided on uh, the communist uh, the communist issue, and many of them supported uh, um, uh, Robert Taft uh, for the presidency. He had been a long time Republican senator from Ohio. He was very uh, conservative. Uh, and and many, uh, including uh, Louis B. Mayer, uh, Heather Hopper, who was a well-known columnist, uh, really uh, thought really didn't like uh, Eisenhower. Uh, and so when they went to the uh, uh, Republican convention, they were divided. Uh, but uh, then they, when Eisenhower got the nomination, they rallied around him. Uh, and uh, supported his campaign. And interesting in this, and I think it was uh, an interesting story about the use of uh, modern media in politics, one actor, Robert Montgomery, uh, joined Eisenhower's uh, campaign as a media consultant, and uh, he was so effective that when Eisenhower won, he brought uh, Montgomery with him to... uh, to the White House uh, as uh, to uh, help on 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 uh, on television and 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 so forth. He taught Eisenhower. Uh, uh, well, he didn't teach him, but he, he told him to use his effective smile, to look at the camera, uh, to uh, uh, to keep his short sentences uh, short. He built the first White House uh, television studio uh, in uh, uh, for the in in uh, uh, and used it to really effectively project Eisenhower's uh, image to the larger uh, larger public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Nixon is the darling of the Republican Party at this point, and uh, they the, his star has risen. They run him. He loses. Um, and then you have an interesting chapter called The Hollywood Right Goes for Goldwater and Finds Reagan. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, well, uh, Nixon, after he loses the uh, 60 uh, election um, and refuses, and Eisenhower's advice, to use Robert Montgomery to, to for media uh, as a media consultant, yeah. <laughs> which may have heard him in the great Kennedy uh uh, Nixon televised debate. Um, he uh, <clears throat> he decided to run for uh, governor. The fact of the matter was that two things were happening. First, many in, uh, in 
in Hollywood uh, had, had really thought uh, the, the hardcore conservatives thought Eisenhower was too moderate. And surprise and surprise, they didn't like uh, they didn't like uh, uh, Nixon. Uh, I know this is surprising for many people, but uh, hardcore Republicans on the right thought Nixon was way too moderate for their uh, <laughs> for their uh, taste. The second thing that happened was that in California politics, there really was a significant shift to the uh, to the right, uh, especially with the emergence of. Uh, far-right groups such as the John Birch Society. And uh, so Nixon was challenged in the, uh, in the primary by someone on the uh, right. Uh, he, he easily won the primary, but he entered that uh, uh, race against Pat Brown really with a divided uh, party. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and uh, Pat Brown uh, won that election. Uh, Hollywood said goodbye to Richard Nixon uh, at that point. They thought his political career was uh, over. Richard Nixon moves to uh, New York uh, uh, with his wife, uh, Pat, and uh, that seems to be the end of Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. So in 19, as 1964... Uh, uh, approached the conservatives across the country, rallied to uh, Barry uh, Goldwater, um, and uh, but within California, many people on the Hollywood uh, right, uh, including the business community, just uh, really didn't like uh, Goldwater, and so in the primaries, leading Republicans who were later going to support Ronald Reagan. Justin Dart and Leonard Firestone actually endorse uh, in the California primary uh, Goldwater's rival uh, Nelson uh, Nelson Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was another interesting discovery I made that uh, that these Reaganites, some of them, endorse Rockefeller, who is seen as the uh, liberal Eastern establishment. Mm-hmm. Um, but Goldwater did get uh, support from Ronald Reagan. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, is appointed to head uh, the Citizens uh, Committee for Citizens for Goldwater, uh, an activist organization, and then makes uh, this famous uh, television ad, A Time to Choose. that appeared right uh, the, uh, three days before the election. And uh, from that uh, televised nationwide televised speech, uh, Ronald Reagan becomes the uh, the new hero of the uh, Republican uh, Party. Mm-hmm. But this is at the very time you point this out. It's at the very time in which there are fewer, 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 and fewer liberals in Hollywood. I mean, we th- I think one of the things you say is that there's they're sort of an older generation. That, that, that is somewhat Republican, but the new generation of actors who are coming into their prime, your Martin Brandos and such, they are not um, Republican by any means. Right. The, uh, the old Hollywood right uh, actors were, uh, were uh, getting older. They were no longer film stars. 
they're turning to uh, TV as Ronald Reagan had as uh, as the host of the very popular Death Valley Days. Mm-hmm. We're going to see Barbara Stanwyck uh, uh, turn to television uh, as her, did her uh, husband Robert Taylor. They just weren't the film stars of uh, of the past. You still had John Wayne, who was uh, very uh, popular. Uh, uh, Gary Cooper, before he dies, is going to be being pretty popular. But the big film stars that were uh, that were Republicans just weren't uh, weren't very popular. Ward Bond, uh, who's going to become the star of Wagon uh, Wagon Train, who is a sidekick of uh, of Wayne, also turns to uh, Hollywood, and so in. By 1966-68, most of the Hollywood stars are television stars. Uh, one of the one of the uh, most popular uh, Republican speakers uh, on the campaign trail was Chuck Connors yeah. uh, of uh, the Rifleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people thought he was going to have a great political uh, career. Anyway, so in 1966, when Ronald Reagan uh, runs for governor against Pat Brown, what his great accomplishment was, uh, was to unify the California Republican Party. But by that point, uh, he wasn't going to be able to rely as much on uh, the Hollywood stars, but he still had the business community, Justin Dart and Walter Knox and uh, Leonard Firestone and others uh, uh, behind him, and he runs a very effective uh, campaign uh, and running as kind of a citizen, uh, a union uh, president, uh, uh, not coming from uh, the political class, and he uh, uh, really trounces uh, uh, Pat Brown in the general election. Pat Brown... Uh, uh, had, was faced with uh, having been pretty inept in the Watts riot uh, in 65 and campus protest at my alma mater, Berkeley. Uh, uh, Reagan really calls for a restoration of law and order, and that appeals to uh, the general uh, the general public. He, he wins election in 66 and then wins uh, re-election as governor. Mm-hmm. And then the indefatigable Reagan eventually becomes president in 1980. He's he's elected, and and this is sort of the the the, 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 the highest moment of the Hollywood right. So there he is as as president. I guess one question I have is is that by the 70s is there no more Hollywood right except for him and very old Chuck Connors and I don't know is I don't know who's alive anymore. Yeah, well you have uh, uh, that's right. There when actually when uh, Reagan runs. Uh, for president in 1980s, the Hollywood committee uh, that he forms is uh, doesn't have any Hollywood stars. Uh, <laughs> they, they can't even bring out one after Charles Kastik and a few, but, uh, but they don't have enough yeah. to really, uh, you know, have a have a uh, advertisements in newspapers with all the stars supporting Reagan because there weren't any. Right. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and you had aging stars like Richard Boo, who uh, have gung will travel, right. uh, who was a pretty staunch Republican, but you know, <laughs> they're not they're not many around. So right. actually, his Hollywood committee is made up of uh, studio agents and, and a few uh, executives. Mm-hmm. It's basically a fundraising uh, operation, but not a media. Uh, you know, uh, a part of the media uh, yeah. campaign. Yeah. So the Democrats are going to be much more effective in using Hollywood stars from that uh, point. One could argue after uh, after Clint Eastwood's uh, appearance at the last uh, Republican uh, <laughs> convention <laughs> that the Democrats are going to still uh, be yeah. much more effective yeah. in using stars. Of course, the question is, is... Uh, I think is whether uh uh you know what effect having endorsements from stars really uh really matters and I think you know Hollywood primarily is uh is a funnel for money and uh it doesn't I don't think anyone votes uh determines their vote on what Barbara Streisand is uh is telling them at least at least I don't but yeah, anyway. no no I don't think they do but I think it is a mechanism to some extent, I don't know who plays the trail. I want to say it's Reagan, but I doubt it was that it is a way to find people who have some political talent. You know, for example, I'm thinking of Al Franken. He apparently has some political talent. He got elected senator. Um, and, you know, similarly with right. Reagan. I can't think of other examples right off the top of my head, but uh, it is a way to launch a political career now. I'm, again, is that thanks to Reagan or were there, did he have predecessors? Nope, there were there were a few uh, actors who uh, who have been elected to uh, to the California Assembly, but but really George Murphy, when he's elected uh, U.S. Senator and then followed by Ronald Reagan, I mean it really shows that that what what if you're if you're a candidate with a with a large popular following that translates into uh, political popularity, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, and I so would you're say, right about that. Yeah. And I, but I would also say you have some political talent um, because I don't think most people have any, I mean, I probably don't either. What, what being an active politician is like, especially on the campaign trail, it's brutal and uh, not everybody can do it. Uh, so I, I think someone like, you know, obviously Reagan could, um, uh, you know, Sean Penn can't, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he well, he'd John end up calling. About- well, I don't think he is, but he would end up in his first press conference calling somebody an MF, and it would be over. Right. You know, he just right. doesn't have the chops Absolutely. for it. <laughs> you know, he just doesn't have the chops. Well, there, there, there's, uh, there's two aspects I think to this, and, and it's uh, embodying in Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had an affable uh, manner that came across on television. Uh, and that matters, you know, t- mm-hmm. television, uh, and film kind of capture, uh, one's personality, but there was also something else that, uh, Ronald Reagan had. He was very, very pragmatic and an extremely adept, uh, politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had his core principles, but during the, uh, campaign, as I discussed when Hollywood was right. Uh, in his gubernatorial campaigns and presidential campaigns, he really compromised uh, and brought people uh, together uh, within a very highly factionalized uh, Republican uh, Party. So it's just not having having a 
uh, easy manner in front of the television cameras, one needs to also know how to run a campaign uh, and make those tough uh, political uh, decisions, right. which I think a lot of Hollywood actors who are basically in complete, complete control and they want someone, uh, they don't like what they're doing, they could fire them right, right away or cuss them out. Right. So you need to have uh, some political skills yeah, as well. Just, that's just what I was pointing out. Is, you know, they bring a platform with them, as they say, in you know, book publishing, but whether they can actually write a book, that's, that's an open question. And someone like Reagan could um, in spades. He had leadership skill, and he had developed it in right. a union, and you know, it's not like he was inexperienced. He had, he had shown that he could do it in another sphere. So anyway, I want to ask right. you two questions before we go very quickly. And the first one is, um, um, why did uh, – now, Hollywood was always uh, sort of more liberal than conservative, but there's this moment of conservatism. Why did it become – maybe this is the wrong characterization. Why, did, why and how did it become completely liberal? Are there Republican yeah. – I mean, who's – I'm trying to think of any – well, there, there, uh, there's a resurgence of uh, Republicanism, mostly libertarianism in Hollywood uh, today. Um, but Hollywood has always been uh, uh, liberal, uh, even I think during the uh, even during the Red Scare uh, mm-hmm. period. Uh, you know, it's an artistic, uh, it's an artistic uh, uh, community. But I think it swings further to the left uh, with the breakup of the independent of the studios, independent filmmaking, and like much of the uh, country in that generation, the Vietnam War and Black civil rights uh, protest uh, really swing uh, a lot of uh, actors who are on the left further to the uh, further further to the uh, left. Mm-hmm. So I think the 1970s, late 60s, 70s, kind of personified in Jane Fonda are really, you know, really uh, a, a turn away from that kind of old old New Deal uh, liberalism to a kind of, you know, further uh, left liberal uh, and even, you know, kind of further, uh, further left to seeing in and um, Sean Penn and, and others in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So, and then the second question, which obviously follows from the first, you've mentioned it. Is there any, you mentioned this resurgence. Is there any chance that Hollywood will move to the, I, I don't like this right left thing, but we'll just say to the right or to the Republican cause. Is there any chance that that's ever going to happen in like the recent future or the, the near future? Well, I think, uh, I think politics is really uh, changing in America. Uh, in teaching, you know, I, I still, I'm teaching, so I speak to a lot of, uh, young people. And I think those, uh, categories of right and left are really becoming, uh, skewed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I have a hard time, uh, telling actually what the politics of my politically active, uh, students are sometimes. They, oh. they tend to be very, very libertarian. So they're anti-war. Anti-government, uh, 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 not loyal to. They think both political parties are corrupt. Uh, they're kind of anti-corporate uh, uh, and so forth. And but you know they could be on the left and they could be on the right. Yeah. So I think yeah. there's there's a lot of anger out there uh, and a lot of loss of uh, trust in our uh, government, which uh, is is good in some ways for democracy, but 
not very good. On the other hand, if we all distrust our uh, our government. So I think politics is changing. I think Hollywood politics will change too. <laughs> that that old breed of uh, leftist Hollywood is is you know they'll still be out there, but it's it's kind of a dying uh, a dying breed. I think in some ways is as politics is uh, going to change in this country. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, and I would agree with you when I ask my students questions, which I think have obvious answers. They don't have obvious answers to them, and I'm really surprised by this. I mean, I truly am just gobsmacked. Sometimes I'll ask them a question, and I won't give any examples, but uh, it's just not what sort of right-thinking people, at least what I thought right-thinking people thought. And I was Well, I think, the other thing that, I think the other thing that's apparent uh, uh that also sets a context for uh, American politics is the general, well, t- general apathy of most people, but also, also kind of the per- uh, political ignorance. I mean, students and uh, uh, students just don't know kind of basic things about American history. And oh my God. Uh, you may not, you might, you might not want to uh, give an example, but I'll give an example. Just uh, two years ago, in an introductory to U.S. class, I gave a throwaway line on the first day of class, trying to get the students to relax. Uh, who's, I asked who the president was uh, during the Civil War. This is before the Lincoln film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not a single student knew. And it wasn't that they didn't try to answer the question. Yeah. Many thought it was it was uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. I mean, and so we're confronting this kind of breakdown in in, in civic literacy, which is yeah. fundamental to a democracy. Right. Well, that's what we hear about at the New Books Network. I will give one example because it so shocked me. And it's partially because I'm a Midwesterner. And I asked, we're discussing terrorism. And I said, name an act of domestic terrorism before 9-11. And they couldn't name one. They didn't know right. about the Oklahoma City bombing. Right. I mean, I, how can you actually, not know about the Oklahoma City bombing? <laughs> how is that yeah, possible? Actually, I've had stu- I've had many students who had never heard of the Oklahoma City bombing. Incredible. I mean, that yeah, that's not good. It's not good. And I feel personally <laughs> a little bit guilty because obviously I'm not doing my job because like that's not that's just bad. They should know about that. So anyway, right. we're both doing our jobs. I think we can say that. So we can feel good about ourselves. So um, thank you very much for being on the show, Don. And I want to close with our traditional final question, and that is, what are you working on now? Well, I just finished uh, um, just finished a, a very short uh, introduction to American political history uh, that's going to be published by Oxford University uh, Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I, because I'm concerned with you know giving kind of writing a short book that maybe will instruct our students on things like Oklahoma City bombing. Let's hope. And, and and who the president was during the Civil War? <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm I'm thinking about a, a book uh, uh, um, called uh, "Democracy in America," really talking about kind of the problems that we're confronting right now in our democracy mm-hmm. and uh, and the and the uh, and the future of American democracy. So, I've written a proposal. Uh, it's off to an agent. If, if I get a contract, then I'll write that book. If not, 
I might go off to the uh, Bahamas and never write another book. <laughs> I prompted Don to say it, that. It, it's, got, it's gotten very tough to get books published these days, by the way, as you know. Oh, boy, and how. So, you know, well, as I say, one of the things that we do on the show is that we try to get the word out about books like yours, good books, and we want people to read them, so we kind of give them a taste by having them listen to you talk about the book. So then they'll go out, and they will buy your book, and you will earn enough money to get that place in the Bahamas. You can go and retire. Too. Okay, yeah. I don't know if it's going to happen, well, well, but that's I, our goal. Well, I, I hope people do buy uh, and read anyway. Uh, when Hollywood was right, I don't think I'm going to earn enough to yeah. uh, go off to the Bahamas. And yeah, right. Plus, I'm fair-skinned. All I would is get a bad sunburn, so right. they can save me. Right, but if right. they read the book, When Hollywood Was Right, I would uh, greatly appreciate it. Yeah, it would be great. So anyway, let me thank you for being on the show, first of all. And thank you. Absolutely. And then let me say to everybody who listens to this podcast, thank you very much for listening to the New Books Network. We really appreciate all of your support, and I hope that everybody has a great week.